You may be seated. Good singing on a brand new song, I would trust, for most of you. Taken, in a sense, from Hebrews chapter 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. Is a forerunner on our behalf, having become that high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, our sure and steadfast anchor of Jesus Christ. Tonight we turn in God's word to the gospel according to Luke, the 19th chapter. Luke chapter 19 to perhaps one of the most familiar stories, or at least a very familiar story, to our children as well as to ourselves. Made uh, perhaps vivid to us in the children's song we used to sing, right? Okay. About uh, the little man, or was we little man, right? Zacchaeus. I remember uh, I just reflecting back on, uh, on uh, Walker seeing the... the funeral will be there, um, sitting there in the front rows of, of Sunday school class. And of course, we as boys, okay, you know, you got to do hand motions. So then Zacchaeus had to be about the wee little man that he could be, right? And we're making him about this high. And he climbed up in a, what kind of tree is it again? Sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. However, uh, some of you know that, uh, I don't know, I might have had hearing problems already as a kid because some of the songs we sang, I, I didn't really, I, I wasn't, either wasn't listening real well, which might still be the issue, okay, uh, or I just didn't hear it. But I, I kept, for me, it's, you know, from going to your house today, for, I'm coming to your house for tea, and it's like, why did I think it was tea that they were going to be having? What? Of course, I did enjoy tea time with cookies and so on then already. So maybe that was playing on my mind. But that's not why he went. He didn't go there for tea. He went for something far more glorious. So we turn to Luke chapter 19. We begin to read at verse 1. He, and that is Jesus then, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also 
is the son of Abraham. And the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's fire the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the scripture you have brought us to this evening. We pray that you will be with Pastor Bob as he explains what more to us, the words that you have given him to teach us this evening as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I think as you've been attending and listening to the various messages on trees of the Bible, you, hopefully you're getting the understanding that it's not really the tree. It's the significance that surrounds the tree. It's the way in which God made use of it. And the fact that God would pull it forward. The, the mere fact that God would tell us that he climbed a sycamore tree. You know, I, I often think, and when we're in Bible study, this, this often comes up as we're delving into passages. The, the information that God gives to us in the word. What God does tell us, but also what God doesn't. There's so many things God chose for our own blessing, for our own edification. He did not tell us, but yet he chooses to tell us that Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree. Lord willing, as we go through this, we'll come to a richer and clearer understanding of what is happening here. But as we come to Luke chapter 19, it's important for us to understand the timing of this passage. Where are we? Well, we're approaching Jerusalem. In fact, if we go back okay, to verse 31 of chapter 18, listen to Jesus' words. It's Jesus' words that are going to tell you where we are at. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit on. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. See, the, those words of Jesus remind us of, of the timing. We're approaching that last week of Jesus' life, of his earthly ministry. We're approaching the cross. They have begun the journey up to Jerusalem. As Dr. Tim reminds us in adult Sunday school class, up here isn't a map direction. Up here is an elevation. So for wherever they are, when verse 31 takes place, it is an ascent. It is going to be a climb from where they are as far as sea level to the reaching of Jerusalem. They are going to be going up in elevation. They are heading there for the last time. This isn't one of many times. This is the last time. We are told in other passages uh, surrounding this that Jesus had set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. In fact, in the accompanying passage in Mark chapter 10, 
Jesus is out walking ahead of the disciples, and the disciples are somewhat afraid. There, there is something about Jesus' manner. There is something about how Jesus is approaching this time of his life that, that has the disciples a little bit taken back. They're, they're a little bit fearful, as it were, of, of what is exactly happening. Jesus is out of, in front of them. He's not necessarily with them. And he's telling them about these things that, that they're having such a hard time to grasp. But yet they're so clear, so prophetic of exactly that which was about to happen. We have to understand that that's in the background now of this passage here in chapter 19 about Zacchaeus. Secondly, in terms of the timing, we have to understand the movement. Remember, it's up to Jerusalem, verse 31. Then note, verse 35, as he drew near to Jericho, and then verse 1 of chapter 19, as he entered Jericho. Jesus is traveling. He's on the move. For wherever they are in verse 31, it is necessity to take the road that goes through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. This isn't some as the crow flies. Hey, we're going to Jerusalem. I don't really care which way we go. No, they're taking the roads. They're taking the routes. They're taking this main way that takes them through Jericho. But it's not really the road, is it? Yes, that, that of course is an explanation. Why are they going through Jericho? Well, that's where the road takes them. But there's also the greater reason. There's the spiritual reason. There are those who Jesus has yet to encounter. There are those that Jesus has to have conversations with yet. There are those that Jesus has yet to call. There are those who are going to come to faith in him. And his journey is not yet done. Even on the way to the cross, he is still fulfilling the Father's will along the way. The third thing in regards to the timing is the action. In what we didn't read in verse 35 through 43, we have an interesting man that we encounter. The man is blind, yet he has some terrific eyesight. He can see a lot clearer than a lot of the people that are around him. He seems to have a sense and an understanding of who Jesus is. When told, verse 37, that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, listen to his cry. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when they tell him to be quiet, he cries out all the more. Have mercy upon me. Son of David, he seems to have some understanding. A blind man, a guy who can't see, seems to have some eyesight in a spiritual sense. So as he enters Jerusalem, he comes across a man who can't see, yet is a man of faith. As Jesus himself testifies, your faith has made you well. 
And now, as we come into Jericho, see, take the chapter away. As he enters Jericho, a blind man who seemingly can see, now we have a seeing man who can't see. We have a seeing man who can't see for two reasons. One, he's short. <laughs> two, he's spiritually blind. It's an interesting contrast that, that Luke is bringing to us. And it's interesting, it's Dr. Luke who is, who is bringing this issue of sight before us. As, as Jesus comes to the cross, the question remains, who do you see? Who do you see when you see Jesus? Who is it? Who is it that is there upon the cross? And so we journey then into chapter 19. As he entered Jericho, he's passing through. Well, let's center for a few moments on the person of this passage. This man named Zacchaeus. But before we do that, let's not rush too quickly past the fact that this is Jericho. Yes, this is the same Jericho that we read about back in Joshua chapter 6. That the people walked around. Right, that, that one time for six days and then for seven times on the seventh day. And then they give the shout and the walls come a-tumbling down. This is that Jericho. That Jericho that the Israelites walked around in verse 26 of Judges 6, Joshua pronounces a curse. He pronounces a curse on anyone who tries to rebuild. It's going to cost him his oldest son when he lays the foundation. It's going to cost him his youngest son when he puts up the gates. Anybody who would attempt to do this. For hundreds of years, the city sits. Till the time of King Ahab. During the lifetime of Ahab, a man by the name of Hiel, H-I-E-L, decides, I'm going to rebuild. In total disregard to the word of the Lord, which is fitting for the time of Ahab, because Ahab and Omri have nothing to do with the word of the Lord. As they've turned their back on God's word, so does this man. He lays the foundations, and he loses his eldest son. He puts up the gates, he loses his youngest son. But he still rebuilds the city. That's the city that is before us here. A city that was decimated under the miracle of God's mighty hand. A city that was cursed by Joshua. A city that was rebuilt at great cost. But is now a flourishing town. Oh, Jericho's, Jericho's there. It's on one of the major trade routes. It's on the trade route that, that brings in myrrh and balsam. From the exchange. It's the city of palm trees. And uh, dates and oil. is flowing like crazy. And so is the money. This is a rich. This is a prosperous town. That's why it needs a chief tax collector. It doesn't just need a tax collector. It doesn't need one. It needs somebody who is over a series of tax collectors because there's, there's stuff going on all, the all over the place. There is trade in and out. There's exchanges going on. 
And all of that, of course, the Romans are going to tax. This is the city. And Jesus enters it. He enters it, not avoiding it, not going around it, not bypassing it. Because there is a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus knows exactly where he is, and Jesus knows exactly what he is. And yet the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, the Zacchaeuses of the world. So first of all, those few notes about the city. Secondly, the man. His name is Zacchaeus. It's a Hebrew name. He's a Jew. He's not a foreigner. He's not Roman. He's not Greek. He's Jewish. He's a Hebrew. He's one of them. His name means <laughs> pure and innocent. Pure and innocent. Yeah, that's what we'd call every tax collector, right? That's what we'd call every official that works for the government. Pure and innocent. Their hand isn't in the till. They're not getting rich. They're not getting wealthy off their position. His name is a mockery. His name is a laugh to the citizens of, of Jericho, Zacchaeus. Chief tax collector. Works for the Romans. He's a traitor from the Jewish standpoint. He's over all these other guys who are manning the boots. Remember when we have the calling, for example, of, of Matthew. He's in the booth, the tax collector booth, and Jesus calls him to leave his booth and come follow me. Zacchaeus is in no booth. That's too small a position. Zacchaeus has, that was not a pun either. Zacchaeus has risen the ranks. And the only way in which you rise in the ranks in the tax collecting industry of Rome is you need to be shrewd, you need to be ruthless, you need to be cruel, you need to be devious. Rome sees his work. Gave him their own blue star. You get to be the chief. And did you notice the other descriptor we're given? His name is Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. And then what's the next descriptor? And he was rich. He was rich. How does a tax collector get wealthy? Does Rome pay tax collectors that much? Nope. The only way you get rich being a tax collector is that you tax more than what you should. You tax a higher portion than what is actually true. See, Rome set a level. Rome said, look, this is how much we want to come in. Whatever exceeds that, put it in your own pocket. We could care less. He's rich. And he's the chief tax collector. He has made himself wealthy off the backs of fellow Jewish citizens. He was rich. But the man has a problem, doesn't he, as we look at the passage? 
verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. What an interesting phrase, right? He's seeking to see who Jesus was. Who is this guy? Who is this person? He's not seeking, you see, a relationship. He's not seeking his salvation. He just wants some more info. Maybe he's thinking, am I missing a taxing opportunity here? Are there people giving this guy money and that's not being reported? Hmm, maybe I could make some money off this. We don't know what it is, but we know he's not seeking a relationship. He just wants to see who Jesus is. But his problem is this. He's short. The crowd is so big. There's so many people. He's short. He can't see over the people. He can't see who this person called Jesus is. Now, some of this may have come about from what happened in 35 through the end of chapter 18. The healing of Bartimaeus. Maybe part of that has filtered into the city and people are talking about Jesus, the guy who made that blind Bartimaeus guy to see. Well, I want to see who this Jesus is. But his problem is he's short. But his real problem is he can't see. Well, not because he's blind. But you see, for all of his money, for his position of being the chief, and for his name of being innocent and pure, he's blind to who Jesus really is. See, there's no Hosanna, there's no son of David, there's no have mercy on me coming from the lips of Zacchaeus. There is from blind Bartimaeus, but not from this man who can but can't see. He has a problem, and his problem isn't his height problem is a spiritual problem. He doesn't know who Jesus is. But he comes up with his solution. Just as all mankind does. They come up with their own solution to what they perceive is their problem. He thinks his only problem is he can't physically see Jesus. So he comes up with his solution. What are we told? So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And of course, the song is just ringing, right? Climbed up in a sycamore tree. The Lord he wanted to see. The only problem with that song is when you sing it, do you get the sense that he's on a real spiritual quest? But he isn't. He isn't on a spiritual quest. He wants to see the man, Jesus. That's who he wants to observe. 
And he figures out the solution. I'll go ahead of the crowd. I'll get up in a sycamore tree. Now, that of course raises the question, what's a sycamore tree? Well, one would think, if one just stops and thinks, if he's climbing the tree to see, he's probably not in a pine tree of some sort, right? Okay, you wouldn't climb in a pine tree to see. Number one, pine trees tend not to be that tall. There's lots of branches and so on. A sycamore tree is a large tree, grows very tall. There, there's, in, in Scripture, there are passages about the beams of the sycamore tree. So they logged this thing. That's how big it is. But the sycamore tree has lower branches. Okay, now I'm going to take you back to your childhood. Right? You're out in the woods. You're not carrying your handy-dandy ladder with you. Right? But you're out in the woods with your buddies. And you go, hey, let's climb a tree. So what tree do you climb? Do you climb the tree whose first branch is 20 feet above you? You go, well, Bob, I can't do that because I can't get up the 20 feet to get the first branch. So what do you have to do? You have to climb the tree whose branches are low enough for you to reach. What's Zacchaeus' problem? He's short in stature. So we know that the tree has low branches. There's no other way for him to get up this thing. And yet the sycamore tree is not a thick foliage tree. So once you get up into the branches, it's not like they're thick, so thick you can't see down below. You're able to see through the branches down below. What's kind of interesting about the sycamore tree is it's actually not a native tree to Israel. It's an imported tree. They brought it in and began to grow it. Some believe they began to grow it for its lumber. They certainly didn't grow it for its fruit. Because you see, the sycamore is actually part of the fig family. Oh, that's right. There's a fig tree coming up in this account of him coming to Jerusalem as well, isn't there? See, there's all these little tie-ins. But a sycamore-type figs are small and they're not that good. They're the poor man's fig. What an irony. The richest guy in town, most likely, climbs the tree that has the poorest fruit. And there sits the rich man in a tree of poor fruit. A reflection upon his spirituality, most likely. It's interesting as well, isn't it, that when Jesus comes to the fig tree later on in the gospel accounts, he curses the fig tree because, what? It didn't bear any fruit. Yet, what are we going to find out of Zacchaeus but all sorts of fruit? There's one other interesting thing about the figs that come from a sycamore tree. You know what makes them edible? Without this process, they are inedible. When the figs are forming, you have to make an incision in them. 
You have to cut the fig. Once the fig is cut and it heals over, then they become edible. Amos, okay, Old Testament prophet, is known as a dresser of figs. That's what it means. He's the guy who goes around and makes these little incisions. That's what God was using him to do in the land. He was to go out with the word of the Lord to cut them to the heart. There sits Zacchaeus in a sycamore tree. Wanting to just see Jesus. But that's not the message of the passage, is it? The message of the passage is what Jesus does. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 5. Zacchaeus only wanted to see who Jesus was. But Jesus wants a relationship with Zacchaeus. Jesus calls. Oh, my friends, how many there are like the Zacchaeus of this passage. They want to know something about Jesus. They gather some information about Jesus. They're interested in Jesus, but they just want to stay up in the tree. They just want to observe. They're not really interested in a relationship. But it's Jesus, you see. It's Jesus who says to Nicodemus, come down. Come down. I want to go to your house. I want to be in your home. I want to be in your life, Zacchaeus. I don't want to just be observed. As this week goes along, ask yourself in terms of the people you meet and the people you come in contact with, how many people are hanging out in sycamore trees? They're interested in some tidbits about Jesus, but they're really not interested in a relationship. But Jesus is. That's why he went to Jericho. He went to Jericho because Zacchaeus is there. And Jesus wants a relationship with Zacchaeus. He calls him. And we know, we know, do we not, from our deep reformed theology, that when we are called, what happens? We cannot do anything but respond. What happens? So he hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. Do you understand what that text is telling us? It's telling us not only about the election of Zacchaeus, not only about the preordained portion of Zacchaeus, not only about the external and the internal calling of God, but it tells us of Zacchaeus' response. He hurried down. He didn't stay in the tree. God, through his Holy Spirit, has drawn 
Zacchaeus out of that tree. And he received him joyfully. That doesn't mean he's just happy that Jesus is coming to his house. It means he is rejoicing over the fact that Jesus has come into his life. What is Jesus going to say? Today, salvation has come into your house. Prior to this, Zacchaeus is not a believer. He is not saved. But once Jesus calls and that Holy Spirit draws Zacchaeus out of the tree into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship of joy, a relationship of love. He received him joyfully. Yes, Zacchaeus received. That, that's not some Arminian thought because it's preceded by the fact that Jesus called. Jesus called and Zacchaeus receives. welcomes Christ into his heart. And now we begin to see the fruit. What does a redeemed life look like? What does somebody who goes from simply being an observer of Jesus, a gatherer of facts about Jesus, to someone who has a relationship with Jesus, what is the change? What is the repentance? What are the actions? What is faith in action? Thank you. What is faith when it's put to action in Zacchaeus' life? He tells us. Zacchaeus stood, verse 8, and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This isn't what Zacchaeus did prior to Jesus. It wasn't Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the rich tax collector. Hey, if I defraud anybody, I give it back fourfold and so on and so forth. That's the person I am. No, this is what he is saying as a result. I got ahead of myself. I, I was told you this morning I was quoting okay, Matthew Henry when really it was Kistemacher. Now I'll quote Matthew Henry in regards to this. Not looking to be justified by these works, but they are the fruit of the sincerity of his faith and of his repentance. These are not sycamore figs. These are the good works of repentance. These are the good works of faith. It leads to a changed life. It leads to that, that passage that we have in Romans chapter 12. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Zacchaeus is. He's been transformed by the power of 
of the gospel. He's been transformed by Jesus Christ. He's been transformed by a living relationship with Christ. So much so that his old way of life, his old style of life, of taking more than what he should have, of defrauding others, now becomes a one of, I'll empty the coffers, come forward. If you think I've defrauded you, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm willing to show the evidence of the fact that I now know Jesus. Not from a sycamore tree, but I know Jesus. Because Jesus came. Not a structure, but my life. Oh, there were those, of course, there in Jericho who are, ha, there he is with those sinners again. Yes, there he is with those sinners again. Yes, there he was with us sinners again this morning. Yes, there he is with us sinners again. Who's in the sycamore tree this week? That needs to be called. We are the ones who are now called to go. Go. Go and do what? Call the Zacchaeuses out of the sycamore tree. But he's a sinner. Yes. Yes. You don't need to call the righteous. You need to call the sinners. And you see, they're not all the poor folks standing on the street corners begging. Some of them are rich. Some of them are the richest person in town. They need a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's close by listening to Jesus' blessing as it comes in verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. That's not the word of Luke. That's not the word of Pastor Bob. This isn't something we're making up to make a nice story end. This is Jesus. The conclusion of his time with Zacchaeus. Seeing Zacchaeus' faith, seeing Zacchaeus' repentance, seeing Zacchaeus' good work, seeing faithful blow. In all of its parts, Jesus says today, today salvation has come to this man's house. He's a saved man. He's a redeemed man. Someday you and I are going to meet Zacchaeus in glory. Jesus told us that. Salvation has come to his house. What a blessing. He also is the son of Abraham. What does that mean? 
apply Hebrews. What does it mean? It means he's part of the covenant of grace. This man too who, yes, he was a Hebrew. Yes, he was circumcised. Yes. But now salvation has come to his house. And this man too is a part of that covenant. That covenant that God made with Abraham. That covenant of grace. It's come to his house. But then the greater blessing. Because that's just for Zacchaeus. But now comes the greater blessing. Here's you and me. This is where the story takes off. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Because I never would have sought him. He had to seek me. Just like he had to seek you. It's like he has to seek every one of us. Because we by nature would run the other way. We by nature would flee. We by nature would climb the tree. But he calls. He calls us to a relationship. We're lost, but now we're found. We're blind, but now we see. And he set his sights towards Jerusalem. I'm going there. He's not blind. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly what they're going to do to him in Jerusalem. He knows exactly the forsakenness he is going to experience. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek to save. You and me, the lost. And God's people say, I amen. Father, thank you. Thank you. That when we were in a tree just seeking to find some information, you came seeking our soul. Thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that we too, in this week that lies ahead now, will respond, will respond in good works of faith and trust in the one who came to seek and to save our